Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another special edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Interim Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School, and today we're dropping in on a presentation from our Career and Professional Development Center, Craft Your Pitch for Public Interest and Government Employers. And our two speakers in this one are Leslie Anderson from the class of 1990. She's the Deputy Bureau Chief at the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office, and Robert Capers from the class of 1996. He's a Chief U.S. Probation Officer in the United States Probation Office in the Eastern District of New York and a Board of Trustees member here at Albany Law School. This was recorded on February 8th. And before we get to it, though, just a little bit of an announcement. AlbanyLaw.edu slash coronavirus has all of our policy updates for this spring semester. And you can also follow us on social media. Or if you like this episode of the podcast, you want to hear more, go to any of the major services or our SoundCloud account. Enough from me. Let's get to the presentation. We're so glad that all of you have taken the time to join us today and meet with our speakers. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joanne Casey. I'm the director of the Career and Professional Development Center, um, and it's, I'm thrilled to welcome our alumni guests um, here today. Before I do that, I'm just going to do a couple of housekeeping tools. Um, we are going to record this program for any of your classmates who did not make it. Um, I believe it's probably going to be best to watch this in speaker mode. Um, so you might want to switch your view to speaker mode. Um, and our, um, our guest speakers really want this to be as interactive as possible. So you are encouraged to um, interject when you have questions, raise your hand with the uh, raise hand function, put something in the chat, um, and we'll be monitoring that as we, as we move along. So, um, so to get started, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Leslie Anderson from the class of 1990, who is a Deputy Bureau Chief with the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office, and Robert Capers from the class of 96, who is a Chief U.S. Probation Officer with the United States Probation Office in the Eastern District of New York. So we're going to start, I think, Leslie, we're going to start with you, and I'm going to ask the speakers just to tell us a little bit about themselves and their backgrounds. Sure. Okay, well, thank you everyone for signing on. Uh, you can see that we didn't get dressed up for this. Uh, Rob made sure that we didn't look appropriate because I wanted to wear a suit and he refused. I think he's wearing a Nike jacket. Please compliment him on that. It seems to mean a lot to him. Uh, so I know, I know for the record that everybody else is dressed down today, Miss Anderson. And That's what we wanted to do was we wanted to be in sync with the students with whom we are providing sage advice today. So there's that. a very good call. That's a good call. <laughs> so uh, I'm Leslie Anderson, as, uh, as Joanne said. I am a deputy bureau chief. I serve on the uh, district attorney's executive staff in Suffolk County. For those of you who don't know, Suffolk County is the Eastern half or Eastern two thirds of Long Island. So we're a pretty big county. Um, we, we have the distinction of having very rural areas, we have some urban areas, and we have a lot of suburban in between those. So we, we get to see a variety of different sorts of crimes and just about anything you could expect to find in any other office, you'll find with us. Uh, I started in that job, in this job, I guess back in 1991. Uh, when I left Albany Law School, I was convinced I was going to be a med mal lawyer. I was going to make a pile of money. I would probably be done by the time I was 30. And then I would figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. 
So I took all of the, uh, the MedMal classes that are offered. I took the clinic that uh, used to take place between the law school and the med school. And uh, my future was planned out for me uh, without having any knowledge of how I was actually gonna get there. Uh, I was actually offered a job in the county attorney's office, which handles civil litigation for Suffolk County. I figured that would be a stepping stone for me to get into my fabulous med mail career. <clears throat> and uh, after they had offered me the job, there was a hiring freeze in Suffolk County. So there was me uh, having absolutely no job, having parents who were not impressed to be paying the amount of money they were paying for me to go to school with no prospects on the horizon. Uh, I kind of went about everything wrong. Rob's going to tell you about the right way that you're supposed to do things. Uh, I sort of experienced my law school life as an extension of my college life, which is not the right thing to do. I am a cautionary tale. This is not the road that you should be traveling. Uh, I played rugby in law school. I had a lot of fun. I was at every Friday afternoon keg in the courtyard, and uh, I was a party on two legs. So my grades were mediocre. Uh, I, and, and of course, my med mal career was on hold because I, I had no plan for getting there. And, I, and my job offer had been rescinded. I was actually very lucky uh, that the then district attorney in Suffolk County used the same mechanic that my dad used. So he would continuously ask my dad, when is she going to interview with the DA's office? And I said, no, I'm gonna be a rich med mal lawyer. You need to explain to this guy that the DA's office is not on my radar. And then after about a year of not finding a job, uh, the next time he asked, I said, all right, well, I have to at least shut my father up by going for this interview. So I went, I, I actually met directly with the DA. It was a very, very odd thing altogether. Uh, all of the people who would normally be doing the interviewing were in a bureau chief's meeting. He was the only one who was actually available to interview me. So uh, he and I had a conversation. I had thrown javelin in college. Apparently he had done that also. He was very interested in my, uh, in my rugby career. Fortunately, did not ask a lot about my grades. And uh, after about an hour of just having conversation, really, uh, he offered me a job. And it was my intent to spend about two, three years in the DA's office, learn how to actually be a lawyer, and then go on to that fabulous med mal career that I keep going back to. Uh, after about six months of cops and robbers in the DA's office, I actually fell in love with it. I stayed there uh, from 1991 to 2002. Uh, at the end of that stretch, I was the chief of the gang prosecutions unit, and uh, it was the most fun I've had in, in a job ever. Uh, unfortunately, we got a new DA. I was pushed out of the office, had to fund another job. So I went to work for the grievance committee, uh, investigating and prosecuting lawyers for misconduct. Uh, until we got a new DA yet again, and I, I have to thank Mr. Capers for his uh, diligent work in getting our last district attorney convicted of federal felonies and uh, having to uh, leave the office of district attorney before probably he wanted to, but if anyone deserved it, it was him. He was the one who pushed me out. So I had a lovely afternoon at his arraignment. Uh, I sat right behind the defense table and just had a big old smile on my face. Um, but when we got a new DA, he asked me to come back. That was January of 2018. And so I'm now back in the office. And uh, my job is, as I like to say, putting out dumpster fires around Suffolk County, uh, essentially trying to um, 
keep us in touch with the community, trying to suppress gangs. I'm going to be running our new Immigrant Affairs Bureau, which I just found out about on Friday. We don't have one. So being the chief of it, uh, obviously, was quite the surprise to me on, uh, on Friday. But that's the sort of thumbnail of my career. And as I said, a cautionary tale. I'm sure Rob Capers has a much more acceptable and uh, interesting way through. Well, Leslie, I think that that was a great and congratulations on your new appointment. Thank you. That was news for us as well. Um, Rob, would you like to tell us a little bit about your career? Sure. Uh, and congratulations, Leslie, and thanks for the pressure that you put on me to perform. <laughs> I will know how well I do when I see this young man in the green shirt, Dan Richter, show a smile or some emotion and not rub his beard and look like he's bored. I got you, Dan. That's what happens when you, you're on video. I see you. I don't know you, but I see you. Not, uh, yeah, I'm all set. I'm very <laughs> eager to listen to you right now. So okay. uh, sorry. I, I need a coffee, I think. Oh, all right. Well, go it, grab it. It's not Here you. We go. All right. All right. Uh, so my name is Rob Capers, class of 96. <clears throat> I have um, been in and around government service and law enforcement for all of my almost 25 years now. I was a career prosecutor uh, for 21 of those years. Uh, like Leslie, I started out in the Manhattan DA's office, uh, but I guess backtracking before that, uh, I went to law school, uh, not necessarily wanting to be a lawyer, but wanting to be in law enforcement. I come from a family of uh, police. My father was a homicide detective in, in the uh, New York City Police Department and my twin brother uh, was in the police department as well. Um, but my father wanted one of his boys to do something different. So I thought I'd go to law school and then join the FBI. Um, <clears throat> but as fate would have it, uh, the FBI had a hiring freeze when I was graduating. So um, in combination with my trial team experience and my clinical experience with the U.S. Attorney's Office up there in Albany, I interviewed uh, for several of the New York City uh, DA's offices. Um, and got hired or got offers from three of the four that I interviewed with and went to the Manhattan DA's office working under Robert Morgenthau. I spent seven years there um, handling misdemeanor cases on up to robberies and burglaries. And then uh, in 2003, um, uh, I went to, um, oh, I missed a spot, a, a jump there. I moved from the Manhattan DA's office to the Office of the Special Narcotics Prosecutor uh, from 2000 to 2003, uh, and I handled wiretaps and targeted drug gangs and international uh, drug gangs that were trafficking uh, kilogram quantities of narcotics into the country and into the city. And then from there, I went to the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York, and I spent almost 14 years there as an, as an AUSA, um, a supervisory AUSA, uh, senior litigation counsel, and then at the end of the Obama administration for the last 17 months, I became the presidentially appointed U.S. attorney who replaced Loretta Lynch when she became the attorney general. All right, now is the time for you to smile, Dan. All right. Um, and uh, so then when President Trump came in, uh, I had to resign. I left. Uh, and went to private practice for two years and was a partner in a New York City law firm. Um, and then in December of 2019, I accepted the call of service back to my district running U.S. probation. 
Uh, and so the last four years have been a nice way to round out uh, what was uh, a career that was principally focused on prosecution. Uh, I uh, worked on the defense side for two years and for the past 13, 14 months, I have been running a department that's responsible for uh, the supervision of folks who have been convicted of federal crimes and either been incarcerated and on supervised release or uh, received probationary sentences. And so now after spending the front half of my career uh, prosecuting people, investigating and prosecuting them, I'm now working to help to rehabilitate those uh, so that they can have a second chance and successfully reintegrate back into life. Uh, so that's my story uh, in a nutshell. You're on uh, mute, Joya. Thank you. I thought I had unmuted myself. Thank you, Rob. Um, as I mentioned before, the speakers would really like us to, uh, <laughs> to uh, keep this interactive. Thank you, Dan. Dan gave Rob kudos that he, he crushed it. Yep. Um, so thank you. Um, so as all of you, many of you are going to be preparing to interview or not interview, but attend our career fair this Thursday, where you're going to be interacting and meeting um, employers from the public service and government um, offices. So we talk a lot about crafting your pitch and, and interviewing. And, and one thing that I spoke with our speakers about earlier today was answering the question, which can help you develop your pitch is, what do you wanna do? Why do you wanna do this? And why are you here? Being prepared to answer those questions. So I'm gonna turn to our speakers a little bit and have them talk about some of, some of the great answers they've heard, some of the pitfalls, some of the answers that haven't been great, some of the pitfalls that um, candidates have fallen into. And again, we are asking if you have any questions as we're moving along, please feel free to raise your hand or put your question in the chat. Um, Leslie, would you like to start us off on this one? Sure. Um, I would say the number one thing that you need, to, well, there are two things. Number one, know why you would like to go into public service and why into that specific agency or office. And number two, do your homework. Uh, we actually recently interviewed a young man who had a very good resume. Uh, it wasn't specifically targeted toward criminal law, but we, are, we don't exclude people based solely upon that. But the answers to his questions were so uh, ev evasive and it was obvious that he, he really didn't know very much about the office. And finally, one of my colleagues asked him, do, do you know the name of the district attorney? And he didn't. Uh, it was on the door when he came in and he hadn't even bothered to take a look at that. Now that is an interview that never should have happened. I don't know how he got passed through to that point, but it was obvious that um, he was fishing for a job. He didn't really care where he worked. He didn't know why he wanted to be in the in prosecution at all, much less the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office. So I would say do yourselves a favor. And Rob and I spoke about this earlier. Um, in the age of Google, and the fact that you all grew up obviously with computers being significantly younger than Rob, probably not that much younger than me, um, that you have to go at least to the agency's website, right? See what they do, see what they're about, see what their priorities are. With respect to my office, our DA has some very specific things that he's made his focus during his terms as district attorney. And so we will ask people about that during the course of an interview and why specifically the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office. And, you know, not 
the generic, well, you know, my, I, I've wanted to be a prosecutor my whole life. Uh, it's, it's my dream to work in this office. Well, you, you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper than that. You know, we're going to want to know more about that and more about you. Rob? Yeah, I want to amplify all of that, right? The, the first question that I ever asked whenever I interviewed somebody from the time I was an assistant DA to an assistant U.S. attorney to the U.S. attorney is, why do you want to do this job and why here? And so let me just give you a couple of examples of bad answers um, that are canned responses. You know, why do you want to do this, uh, Dan Richter? Well, I um, uh, want to serve my country and I want to serve my community. And I feel like this is the best way to do it. And <clears throat> if you're applying to a federal agency like the U.S. Attorney's Office, and look, and I'm making this office specific, but this is equally applicable to whatever you all want to do. You should recognize that the first thing is, is and my answer to that is always, well, if you really want to serve your community, then you want to go down the block and around the corner to the Queen, uh, to the Kings County DA's office because they allow you to interact with the public almost immediately, um, you know, when you come on the job. And if you knew that, then you would know that that's not a, a good answer to give. It, ne it needs to be a personalized answer. And the personalized answer shouldn't be response to not be something like, oh, well, I, um, you know, I feel like this job is better suited to my skill set because I have strong research and writing skills. Well, now you've just insulted me because I was a former state prosecutor. And the last thing that I want to hear, because it was the sum of all my skills and some luck from the Manhattan DA's office that got me to the U.S. Attorney's office, the last thing I wanted to hear is you poo-poo on a state prosecutor's office because you feel like your skills are too strong for what they have, right? So it's a combination of really understanding uh, why you want to do this and personalizing it, but also knowing uh, your audience, uh, to amplify what, what Leslie said. Um, and look, and this is, we understand that you all are going to uh, put your resumes out to probably a broad swath of uh, uh, public interest group type of jobs. But you owe it to yourselves to do a real gut check and ask yourselves, is this what I really want to do? And if so, why? And be able to personalize that. Because in this day and age, especially, folks in public interest and government work get a lot of people who are applying. And those are the kind of things that will kind of change the tenor of the interview from the start and make it very difficult for you all to recover from, right? So do the gut check and figure out, do I really want to do this? And if so, why? What does it mean to me? And why this office? Every office, no matter what it is, has its own priorities, right? Whether it's EPA or something else, they're all their own priorities. Know what those priorities are and understand if those priorities jive with you. And before you go in for an interview, or even if it's an on-campus interview, find out who the people are or the person is that you're interviewing with and do some research on that person. Find out how long they've been there, what kind of work they've done, what their work has been within the parameters of whatever those um, priorities are for that office and be able to speak to that. Okay? All right. 
It, it also doesn't hurt to have an idea of where you'd like to ultimately end up in the agency. Um, whether it is coming into a DA's office and deciding that you want to do narcotics prosecutions or homicide prosecutions or um, going into a legal aid office and, and seeing the sorts of things that are, uh, that are their priorities or any, any other government agency. Um, project how you'll actually fit into the ultimate picture, right? Let, let us know how you're going to, how hiring you is going to help us. And where you ultimately want to be in that agency. You know, a great question that we like to ask, which is a throwaway for some, but hang some others up is, where do you want to be in three years, five years, eight years? Don't say, I don't know, what do you think? Or uh, that's where, and, and the reason for that is to get a grasp of how well you know whatever that office is and whether the units and subunits within that office or the specializations or subspecializations. You'd be amazed how many people will say, I don't know, what do you think? Well, I know what I think, but it's not about what I think, it's what you think. And it's how much work you've done to learn about the agency or the office that you wanna, you wanna work in, right? It's a real gauge for the interviewer about whether you're serious about this or if you're just looking for a job uh, to kill some time until some, something else. Thank you, um, Robin Leslie. Olivia, you have a question for us? Um, yeah, just a quick question. Um, I was wondering, I don't really know how common the question, is this your first choice position is, but it was something that I encountered during on-campus interviews last year. And fortunately it was my first choice. So it worked out in that instance, but like, I was just wondering if you have any advice as to questions of when it's maybe not your first choice or you're not sure. Well, so let me ask you that question. Right. Let me if if it wasn't your first choice, what were you going to say? I honestly I have no idea. I, I probably would have answered honestly, but at that point, I probably would have realized like I'm not going to get this position and maybe rightfully so. <laughs> so then it sounds like you were interviewing as kind of a throwaway. This wasn't I mean, this was I mean, look, if there's anything that wouldn't be in your top few choices, right, then you have to ask yourself, is this what I want to do because I want to be earnest about it? Um, I think the thing you have to do is be honest. You don't want to lie and say it's not your first choice. I think you want to tell them, you know, uh, uh, that it's, it's, it's one of your top choices and it's a, a priority area that you're looking into. But I mean, I think, again, you have to make sure you don't spread yourself so thin that you find yourself, like, for example, years ago when I was interviewing, I interviewed in four of the five DA's offices. I did not, and I repeat, did not, apply to Staten Island because, you know, Staten Island is just, if anybody's from Staten Island, I'm sorry, it's another planet out there. And I just knew that it wasn't going to fit with my ethos and how I live. And so I stayed away from it. And so the places that I interviewed with all of them, I made clear that if they made me an offer, I strongly consider it. Um, because look, it depends on a number of things. What happens if they you know, years ago, I interviewed for a job up in the U.S. Attorney's office up there in Albany after I'd been on down here for a while. And it was a great interview. And I sold it to my wife that I could go to Albany. And she agreed. And then they did a bait and switch and said, well, somebody from Syracuse wants to transfer down to Albany. So we want to offer you the job to send you to Syracuse. And I had to tell them, listen, I can't sell that to my wife. I can sell Albany because it's two hours from the city. I can't sell Syracuse because that's four hours away. There's really nothing to do you know, up there. And so 
You know, you've just got to kind of stake out where you stand and figure out which are the places that you really want to be so that you can be honest, because if you try to play too many games with it, they're going to see. We, uh, we don't ask whether we're the first choice, but we do ask whether you've uh, interviewed with any other offices or you have scheduled interviews with other offices. And we also ask if uh, an offer is extended to you by the DA, would you be prepared to accept it? And, you know, people have been relatively honest about that. Most people are interviewing in more than just one office. Uh, part of that is just so we see where we are. You know, is this somebody who, who would say yes if we said to them, you know, we're offering you a job today, will you take it? Uh, a perfectly legitimate way to answer that is, uh, I wasn't anticipating having an offer extended to me right now, but if you give me a day or two, I will let you know definitively. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And we certainly know that people don't just uh, interview with one office. Although it's an unfair question, uh, you know, in, my, in the U.S. Attorney's Office, we had an executive that used to ask somebody before they came in for a final interview, if the U.S. Attorney made you an offer, would you accept it? And that's a difficult, to Leslie's point, question to answer. And in that instance, you know, maybe you're prepared to. And if you're not, you know, it depends. You're considering some things. I need some time. Or sometimes you counter with, uh, you know, getting a sense of, you know, what the numbers are um, as far as salary and everything else, which is another discussion that we'll have, um, I'm sure, at some point. But, you know, sometimes if you counter with one or two good questions and you can get answers that will be helpful to you, you can answer that question forthrightly. Thank you. Thank you. And Olivia, thank you for your question. So as the students are getting ready for the career fair on Thursday, the employers are going to be seeing quite a few of them. So what are some of the skills that public service employers might look for? You know, hard skills, soft skills, thinking on your feet, being flexible, the things that we had talked about earlier. Can you give the students some advice on the types of skills that they might wanna highlight as they're speaking with the employers? Rob, you wanna start us off on this one? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, if I can just backtrack a second, uh, they will have looked at your resumes and I presume that whatever you're interviewing for, hopefully you've taken some classes or you've, uh, at this point, if your two L's uh, have done an externship or an internship somewhere or a clinic or something like that. So, some of our students, oh, sorry, Rob, just to let you know, some of these are first year students who are gonna be participating as well. So they haven't had an opportunity yet to do a clinic or a field placement. Great, so hardworking uh, problem solvers, issue spotters and problem solvers. Nobody wants somebody who just spots an issue. And then the next question is, so what would you do about that? And you don't have an answer. So problem solvers and issue spotters, uh, you know, computer savvy, technologically savvy, engaging, uh, you know, earnest in, uh, you know, wanting to uh, really see if public interest uh, law is for you. Um, um, flexible, uh, able to adapt and adjust, right? To take a position and if something changes to be able to adjust um, in that approach or that position that you'll take. Um, of course, uh, you all are going to be free labor or cheap labor. So we want to make sure that you can research and write as well and are clear and cogent in your uh, communications. Leslie? 
Uh, I would add language skills are always, always, always a plus. If you are, you don't have to be fluent. If you are conversant in another language, make sure that that is uh, reflected on your resume at, or in your interview. Um, that, is, uh, that is something that uh, we absolutely look for. It wasn't something that was sought after in the past. We re completely revamped our hiring process uh, once this district attorney came in in 2018. Uh, and that is just invaluable. The other thing is, um, and a, a question that I had added to our interview process is, uh, is there anything else you'd like us to know? You know, we've asked you all the basic questions. Is there something about you that, that might distinguish you from the pack? And, um, you know, we've heard some interesting things, but uh, the, the number one thing that I would put out there is you may not see it as something that is, um, would necessarily be an asset to you in an interview process. But as I say, you know, if, if you're talking about somebody who put themselves through law school and is, you know, supporting another family member or is, you know, working nearly full time while going to law school. That's something that we want to know. Number one, to when we look at your transcripts, you know, there may be uh, differences between you and other people. Your grades may not be in the top 1%, but that's a very good explanation. And it says a lot about you. So um, it, it may not necessarily be what the issue is that is, um, that is so compelling, but an, uh, if it's an obstacle that you had to get over or something that you've done to distinguish yourself, you should make uh, folks aware of that. Thank you, Leslie. Andrew, you had a question for us? Yes, I just wanted to follow up with what Leslie said. Um, I had a question about, uh, you said that language skills are, are something that you look for and they're important. I do have language skills. I'm just wondering what about those language skills um, is attractive? Why are you looking for them? Good question. So we have a very diverse county. And um, I, I actually, when I finish with you, I'm gonna be doing a session on diversity for uh, Syracuse Law School. But over the years, uh, we've become more diverse in Suffolk County. We get a lot of influx uh, from folks who've decided they're gonna leave the city, especially now during the pandemic. And so with that uh, is a variety of languages, cultures, and we try to, uh, we've tried to up our diversity level to reflect the population of the county. But in a, in a very uh, simple, in a nutshell, it's excellent to have an assistant who can converse with a victim, a witness um, in their own language. And so if I come across that issue in my career, what I've done is grab a person who's a native speaker of that language or grab a cop who's a native speaker of that language. Of course, we have interpreters that we use for official purposes, but when you're sitting in an office with someone, it's nice to have someone that the, uh, the witness can feel at least some sort of affinity for and as an ADA, you also understand what I'm looking for when I'm asking questions. So it's always an asset to have somebody who can do that for you. Perfect, thank you. Sure. Um, so my next um, point is, um, we talked a little bit about this, but can our speakers provide our students with a little insight about what it's like to be a public service lawyer, what it entails, the expectation, hours, Sometimes there are misconceptions surrounding public service. Um, Rob, you wanna start us off on this one? So we were having this discussion earlier um, and look, the first thing you wanna know is that um, the commitment to public service is real. Uh, and as a career public servant, 
you guys should know you're not going to get rich doing this. Um, you know, uh, we were talking about what it was like for us coming out of law school in 96 when I came out uh, and I started in the DA's office, I made $33,000 to start. And when I passed the bar, I got bumped up to 34. Uh, and I still remember it was like $986 and something cents every two weeks, uh, you know, after taxes. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of work. You know, we used to work in the beginning, you know, 12, 15 hours a day. Um, we would work day shifts and day shifts would then turn into night shifts some days, you know, five to one in the evening. And then we had a shift called the lobster shift called uh, that was 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um, and then you'd flip-flop right back to days uh, and you were managing, you know, hundreds of cases. Um, and so, look, you're not going to get rich, but the work is the most rewarding work you will ever do in your life. And the beauty of public interest work is unlike private practice, you're largely your own person um, as a lawyer early on. Um, you know, I was handling misdemeanor cases within a month uh, after coming out of training. So that was October of 96, not having even passed the bar yet. And I had 100, 150, 200 cases by November. Um, and lawyers, you know, talking to me and calling me counsel and me doing hearings and trying cases and doing investigations. And it's that kind of work, whether it's in a prosecutor's office or a defense lawyer's office or wherever you are, that from the, from the start, you know, you all are gonna be able to uh, define who you are as people and as lawyers. So um, it is trying work, it is taxing work, but it is some of the most rewarding work that you can do. And so things like work ethic, when Leslie was talking before about things that separate you from others, whether it was going to school and working or any number of other things that kind of demonstrate that you are a hardworking person who's committed um, are you know great things to showcase for people, but that's what the life is, uh, especially in the beginning. Leslie, agreed. Uh, I also started at thirty-four thousand dollars a year. I'm happy to say that uh, our starting salaries are better than that now. Uh, our our ADAs don't know the uh, the drama of trying to find a place that has five dollar pitches of beer so that uh, you, know, you have a place to hang out on a Friday night because that's what you can afford. Uh, but it is, uh, it's, a very, it's very like what Rob said. Uh, you come in, you learn how to be a lawyer while you're being a lawyer. And uh, I remember being terrified to go on the record uh, when I first started in the office, you know, it was like two or three days they gave me to kind of watch other people and how to take pleas and how to address the judge and, you know, where to stand in the courtroom, all of that stuff, because of course I hadn't done any clinics or anything like that. So this was all brand new for me, apart from whatever courses I took in school. And uh, I would say the beginning of my second week of being an ADA, uh, a judge decided that we were going to have a trial on a petty larceny case. And of course, when you're a new lawyer and a new ADA, a petty larceny case is a homicide, right? This is the, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And so I, I, at least I had enough brains to say, I probably need somebody to come down here and stand next to me or sit at the table with me before I make a complete fool of myself. And as it turned out, it was a day where uh, 
most ADAs had been scheduled for continuing legal education. So all the phone numbers that I called added up to nothing. It was either a secretary or a ringing phone that I got. There was nobody. And so now it's time to pick a jury. So, okay, let's pick a jury. So I did that and I went through my case and I put my witnesses on, I put my cops on and, you know, I thought I'm not doing too badly. And uh, it turned out that I had left out an element uh, that has to be established by a prosecutor, namely jurisdiction, that the crime had occurred in Suffolk County, New York. Didn't know that. And so uh, the defense attorney made a motion to dismiss and the judge granted it. So now I've lost my first trial. You know, the biggest thing that's ever happened to me has gone down in flames. So naturally I pick myself up. I walk out of the courtroom with my files under my arm. I go upstairs, I get my car keys, I go to my car, I stop at 7-Eleven, buy a 12 pack of Corona, go home, get in the bathtub and proceed to cry. That was my first time out. Now, looking back on that, you know, I, I, I get hysterical laughing at myself sitting in the tub drinking beer crying, but <clears throat> the truth of the matter is it, it felt like the biggest thing in the world. It wasn't close to the biggest thing in the world, right? When you go into these types of situations, especially a DA's office or someplace where you're going to start in a, in a misdemeanor bureau or something that's comparable to that, um, while every case is important, of course, you are there to learn. And so you have to make those mistakes there. So I have to leave out jurisdiction on a petty larceny case and not on a, uh, an attempted murder case. So there are always gonna be people around you. I say that now when there was nobody there for me, but uh, we fix that so we don't have it <laughs> so that it's so difficult to get in, in touch with somebody. Usually there are other assistants in the courtroom. You always have somebody who can back you up. You can ask a question. Um, somebody that you can pick up the phone and, and talk to at you know, 11 o'clock at night when you're prepping for a trial and, and you need another opinion. There's always going to be somebody there. And so uh, I think that's probably the biggest advantage that and the fact that you can start trying cases as soon as you are ready to start case, trying cases, if not before. And trial skills translate in every, pretty much every area of the law where, where there are courtroom appearances involved, right? You will find that there are some uh, very fine civil litigators who aren't that impressive in the courtroom. You know, they can draft uh, pleadings, they can do hearings, um, they can do depositions, but you can be underwhelmed by them in a courtroom. If you leave a prosecutor's office, no one's gonna be underwhelmed by you in a courtroom because by the time you leave, that's your house. So, so just to piggyback off of that, so a few things, right? You wanna learn, you wanna be flexible. Um, you wanna be flexible and pliable. You wanna be able to you know, not be kind of stuck to one thing. You want to be able to move and adjust to whatever the subject matter is that you guys are looking to work on. And you want to try to be able to explain that to folks in a way that's marketable uh, in any way. You want to be able to be able to think on your feet um, because, you know, the essence of public service is sometimes being understaffed and uh, not having the budget, uh, the limitless budget like you know, you might have in private practice. Um, so you have to be able to, you know, kind of think on your feet. You have to be industrious. Um, you have to be able to recognize that you're going to be putting in more work than what you're actually going to be paid for. And the benefit to that is going to be that you're going to do good for somebody or some entity 
um, that is a representative of uh, this body of people that we live in. Um, and, you know, you have to be um, really earnest uh, in wanting to do this and being able to project that. Um, those are kind of qualities that, you know, are get you in the door kind of qualities and give people the comfort of knowing that you're going to put in the work. And then dovetailing just off of what Leslie said, don't be afraid to make a mistake. You're, you all are starting at the ground on everything for a reason so that you can learn from the ground. And you know, if you make a mistake, it's not gonna be the kind of mistake that we can't recover from. And if you make a mistake, don't be afraid to say that you made the mistake because there's the old adage, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. You know, you make a mistake, we can help you fix almost any mistake. It's when you start covering it up with other things or making excuses that we get deeper into things and we not only question your integrity, which once we question that, you can't recover from that, um, but we question your judgment uh, and whether you have the judgment that we need to entrust you in whatever the work is that you will pursue. Oh, and notice that with Leslie, every time she talks, everything is tied to partying and beer. And <laughs> has not been the case with me. That is not a mistake, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And the advice that both of our speakers have given, I think, goes across the board, whether you want to be a prosecutor or a litigator or if you want to do Absolutely. some work. Um, so I, I think that that was um, very, very helpful. Um, I know that Leslie has another program, so I want to make sure that there's time for questions. So I'm going to ask one final question, and then I'm going to open it up to our students to see if they have any additional questions. But um, what was the single best piece of career advice you ever received? Liz? Go first, Liz. Oh, Rob, you want to? So, no, Liz, uh, I, I think the best advice I ever got <clears throat> was at my law school graduation. And uh, it was given to me by my mother. And she sort of, she took me aside. And of course, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm from a medical family. We don't have any lawyers in the family. Um, I was, uh, I got a 68 on the English region, on the uh, chemistry regions. So uh, med the medical school plans went out the door. You know, my parents had a, had a very frank conversation with me. And I think the word dumb was, was bandied around a little bit. But uh, it was decided that I would go to law school. So she's proud now and she pulls me aside and I'm still in my gown and, and my hood. And, and she said, you know, I want you to go out there and be successful do the best that you can and try not to be too big of an idiot. And that has always kind of served me really well in the context of whatever you're doing. You know, try, tr just try to reflect every once in a while. Am I being an idiot? You know, is there more to this than I'm seeing? That was big. Um, I was once told uh, to be well-rounded and I found that to be um, probably one of the best pieces of advice I've, I've ever gotten. And, and well-rounded means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But um, what I found is if uh, in interacting with people, victims, defendants, um, other lawyers, uh, whoever, if there is some common ground that you have, 
if you are conversant in, say, the person's culture or where they come from or, you know, their neighborhood or what kind of car they drive, you know, if, if, you, if you guys have similar cars, if you have something that you can use as a baseline when you're talking to somebody, it makes things a lot easier. Uh, so I've tried to make that sort of a priority, try to learn a little bit about, about a lot of things and always seek advice from someone with more experience. You know, I've, I've been doing some version of this since, since 1991, and I'm always happy to talk to, to somebody who's been around longer than I have or has done it differently from the way I do it, because there's always room to make changes if it's going to uh, improve things, if it's going to make you better at what you do. Thank you. Rob? I agree with all that. Um, and the only other thing I'll say is, is to be a sponge. Um, you should soak up everything, listen to uh, everything that those around you have to say, especially the folks who have kind of been along the path and that you haven't been on yet. And I say that because over the course of my 25 years, uh, a lot of my trajectory in addition to grace and mercy and some luck has been people who saw stuff in me that I didn't see who poured into me and like said, no, don't do that. You should do this, or you should consider this, or you should consider that. Uh, and rather than just say, no, I'm not gonna do that. That's not for me, I listened. And I tried to figure out why, and some of those things, you know, I did. Um, and, and now when I talk to younger people, I say, look, people, I've made it as far as I did because people who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself poured into me. And I heard them and I listened to them. And I, instead of going left, went right. And here's where I ended up. And so never be afraid to accept advice. It may not work for you, but you take it in and there are, there's always a nugget, a piece of whatever it is that could be helpful. A mistake that somebody made that you don't wanna duplicate. Uh, a phrase or a thought or an idea or a theory that you might wanna take for your own and build upon it. And listen, the world is built on that. People take people's thoughts, ideas, theories, and everything else, and they amplify them. So I'd say that, be a sponge, because you don't know what, like, just like I hope that something that Leslie said today resonates with you and you will walk into an interview and hit it out the park. Um, or like I messed with Dan the whole time because I wanted him to know that somebody's always watching and, <laughs> It could be in that Zoom or somewhere else. You're going to walk into something and somebody will see you yawning and say, oh, this guy, you know, he's not, he's not what we want because we can see already he's not paying attention. And I'm picking on Dan, but what I always do is, as a prosecutor and as an investigator, I stake out everybody and I look at somebody who's doing something that I'm going to pick on so that I can teach them a lesson later on. So Dan, you just, you're the man on this one. If I ever meet you, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Everybody else got lucky. You all didn't do anything that I could mess with. I deserved it. Thank you. I <laughs> yeah. You're a good sport, Dan. You're a very good sport. Um, so now I'm gonna see if the students, you know, here's your opportunity to ask some questions and they can be specific to yours, your job search. And I know we have two people with their hand raised. Elizabeth, you wanna start first? 
Yeah, I have a question that's uh, slightly tangential, but definitely ties it all together. Um, you both talked about situations in public servant which, service, which is really common, where um, you're working in a position and then um, your supervisor changes due to elections or um, something else related to that. So can you talk to how we would prepare as individuals um, for being in public service because that is so common that you would um, leave a position due to a change in um, elections or other kind of like uh, flowing with the wind type things. Les, you wanna go first? Sure. Um, so the first, the first thing I'll say is that uh, at least in my office, and I think with, with most DA's offices uh, that have any number of DA, ADAs, uh, that clearing out is done at the uppermost levels it generally does not happen uh, on the, we call them line assistants, on your uh, regular ADAs, because somebody has to do the work, right? I mean, you can't just fire everybody because who's going to stand in the courtroom? So normally what they do is uh, they'll clear out the top ranks to put in people that they think are going to be more effective and, and carry out their missions. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. You have to be uh, kind of nimble. When I was uh, asked to leave, I, it wasn't too much of a surprise. I could sort of see the way the wind was blowing. And I had investigated some other opportunities. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was able to, in a, a couple months, start another job. And uh, it wasn't my dream job, but it was still public service. And it, uh, it kind of let me tread water and get where I needed to be so that I could come back and do what I really like to do. Yes, I think that's my same answer. It's generally uh, at the top, uh, you know, executive management, uh, you know, even mid-level management is generally safe. Uh, but it also depends on the type of agency, right? There are some agencies that are career or civil service agencies and you can't be gotten rid of because you have civil service status. Right. So it depends. Uh, and if you find yourself in an upper echelon or in a political appointee position, you know, you take those positions knowing that at some point uh, there's an expiration date. And so you prepare yourself for it by doing everything you can to do the good work and learn what you can, but also, you know, you have to look forward. You know, when I, I knew when I became U.S. attorney after being a career prosecutor, that that was a political appointment, right? Nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate. And at some point there was a short, that shelf life was going to come to an end. And I had to prepare myself and come up with a plan. Now, I didn't do that as well as I should have. So the lesson is do that if you take those positions, but generally, uh, unless you're in one of those positions, you're, you're pretty safe. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Elizabeth. Jenny, did you have a question? Um, yeah, I have a question about um, interviewing. So specifically there's, when there's that portion of the interview um, where they ask, you know, are there any questions that you'd like to ask me? Um, I was wondering if you guys had any sort of expectations for that portion of the interview or like any unexpected questions or questions that, you know, you like or don't like to hear, things like that. Go ahead, Rob. So my rule of thumb, well, the way I ask that question is, I usually say, do you have a question of us? And don't feel obligated to ask a question if you don't have one because the worst mistake that people make is just trying to fill the air with a question that they, you know, that they don't even believe is a good question that they're just trying to find something to do. So if in the flow and generally in the flow of interviews, you're able to ask the questions, it's an interactive interview. 
So if you're having an interactive interview and you've covered everything you want to cover, then I say, get out. Uh, if you have not been able to cover everything, then uh, I, would, I would do that. Now, I wouldn't ask about things like salary and benefits. I would get the offer first right. and have that discussion. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, uh, you know, so I, I, would, I would definitely stay away from that. And I, I think that's the biggest one because as far as promotion potentials and all that kind of stuff, you should do your research and know how the office is structured and what the abilities are uh, to move around and promote. And so if there's a tangential question, maybe perhaps that, but I always feel like the rule of thumb is, is if you don't have a legit question to ask at the end of a good interview, then don't ask it. And if it's an awkward interview, for God's sake, Get out. Don't ask it. Get out while you can. Um, one that, that we seem to get quite frequently, and it's probably because we, we don't get a chance to really go into our uh, the structure of our office while we're asking questions is, can you tell, tell me about the structure of the officer? You know, tell me where, uh, where I go after, the, after I've been in this, the misdemeanor bureau for a while. And so we'll go through that with people. It's, it's, um, it, it's no problem at all. Uh, I think it's important to know what the structure of the office is anyway. You could find it on our website, but it doesn't necessarily show you what the path is. So it's not an illegitimate question when, when we get it. You know, people just want to know what are the actual steps after you leave that district court bureau. Thank you. Brittany. Yeah, I just had a question. Um, so if a lot of our reasons for wanting to go into public service has to do with like personal experiences and things like that, um, how much should we disclose? Like how much is too much? Um, should it just be general or can we like open up a little bit about ourselves if they ask? Liz? Um, I would say it kind of depends. I mean, if you're if you're gonna get down and dirty into some kind of dramatic, scary, um, graphic <laughs> story, probably not the best thing. But um, you know, if that is your reason, you can say um, personal situations have drawn me toward public service. You know, I, when I was so and so years old, I had an experience with you know, the sheriff's department, or I had an experience with the uh, police department or with an attorney that I thought, you know, really made me interested in this. I think there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's something, again, that, that might set you apart. We've had uh, individuals interview with us who were crime victims. And um, when they mentioned that, they did it in a sort of um, a benign way. And then we will sort of say, you know, are you comfortable with, with sharing details of that? Mm -hmm. And some of, some of the things that we've heard have been just amazing to the extent that we have to have this person on our staff. I mean, they're, they're empathetic. They've, they've seen it from, from various sides. And, um, you know, that's, those are qualities that we want in our prosecutors. So I would say um, you kind of have to judge it, but you can do it in a, in a sort of a benign way and see if they want to dig any further. I agree with that. The only other thing I would say is, is you should run that by somebody who you trust, who's got some experience, so that you could figure out you know, how, how deeply you want to go into it or not. Uh, because we've had the benign, as Leslie has said, and I've had people who came up to me who said graphically I was 
the victim of a sexual assault or I was a victim of this. And that's a little jarring and it makes it difficult to come back. Like, how do you come back from that? I'm a bit of a fearless person because of my experience. So we dig into it and you want to know, but I think that there are layers to everything and there are ways to present it and you want to have a layered approach. So as you move along in the process, uh, you can necessarily reveal uh, more if you want to, depending on what the experience is. Thank you. And Brittany, you're always welcome to, you know, uh, pass it by your career counselor because I know those questions have come up uh, for all of us. So you're always welcome to do that. Andrew, did you have a question? Yes, I did. Thank you. Um, so this may sound like uh, kind of a silly question, but um, I really had a question about the first 10 to 30 seconds when you walk into a career fair. I mean, for me, I'm normally really comfortable walking into an interview. I know that the person who's I'm going to interview me and see my resume. They know something about me. But when I go into a career fair, especially when they're in person, there's everyone's running around with the resumes. You know, what, what, what are you, what's the expectation? Is it uh, when I go to introduce myself, should I just start talking about myself? Is it more reading your audience for who's speaking to you? Uh, if you could speak on that, I'd appreciate it. Liz? There's been a lot of going first for me, Rob. I mean, I don't want to call you out in front of everybody, but here we are. Well, I mean, you're kind of doing that. I mean, what <laughs> you could be doing is telling me what kind of beer you want to drink, and I'll make sure I send it to you. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, career fairs are kind of, of funny things, right? You don't really get a good opportunity to, uh, to go in depth on anything. Um, we do it, quite frankly, primarily for resume collection. Um, if there is, you know, something that, that you can say that might make you somewhat memorable, um, you know, if you're, say, you're, you have relatives in Suffolk County or, you know, you interned with a DA's office and you, you did an interesting case, just a little tidbit that we can kind of attach to uh, a resume because I, I actually do make notes. If there's something that I think we should consider later on when we go through the resumes, I'll put it right on the resume. Um, but it, it really is kind of hard to make a real impression uh, at, those, uh, at those occasions. Yeah, so I, I mostly agree with that. Uh, look, I think in those types of things, right, it's the little things that matter the most. Uh, appearance, of course, be sharp, be clean cut um, and you know, be yourself. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, if you're speed dating or something, if you come up and you say something corny or stupid, you're right, you've lost it right there. So, you know, hi, I'm Andrew Ellis. I'm a 2L at Albany Law School and I'm really interested in this because, you know, and just some tidbit. And look, and the other part of that always is, you know, your career services folks know who's gonna be there um, you know, you ask them like, who's on tap for, for this so that you have a sense of who that person is. And if there's a connection, right? Say you're a, a gamer and you deal with somebody who's a gamer or you were in the military and that person's in the military. You could walk up to them and start a discussion like that uh, very quickly. Um, but it's always for me like, uh, you know, less is more and, you know, kind of striking and moving back, so you have something to say. And even if it's just, I'm so-and-so, uh, firm handshake and, uh, and some small thing, just so that I can take notes, I would say, okay, uh, beard, glasses, uh, you know, army vet or something like that, or, you know, uh, you know, whatever the connection is, or hey, Albany Law School grad, class of so-and-so, great. 
you know. Uh, but it's that the general rule, I think, in that one is, is err on the side of caution, less is more. Don't go too crazy because it could go the other way as well. And, and please practice the firm handshake. There's nothing worse than a, one of those dead fish, clammy handshakes from somebody. Well, that, look, but also we're, we're dating ourselves here, right? This is old school stuff that That's true. We our parents taught us <laughs> back in the day, right? That the, the, you judge a person by the first impression. If you walk up, look me in the eye, I'm 6'5", but if you still look up and look at me in the eye and give me a firm handshake and engage with me, I'm going to remember that. And you're going to walk away and I'm going to say, oh, okay, you know, let me write that down. So that's another one of those just kind of, you know, tried and true knowing your audience and knowing who's what and, and figuring out what works best for you. But for God's sake, be who you are. And hopefully being who you are is not a jerk. I look forward to the day that we're all in person again and giving the handshakes. Yes. And I, would you both agree that as much as, you know, making the impression during the career fair, but the follow-up is just as important. Reaching Absolutely. back to the employer you met with and writing to them and letting them know it was a pleasure meeting with them and what you talked about, a line or two about what you talked about, and then expressing your interest in, the, in, in an internship. But make sure it's well-written and grammatically correct. Absolutely. Those are the things, those are those things that knock you right out the box. Uh, you know, same thing with your resume, have somebody look at your resume. You know, we take in so letter. many, we take in so many resumes and cover letters uh, that, um, you know, you, uh, you know, if you make a mistake, if there's a typo, if there's a misspelling, if there's a grammatical something that moves you over to the side, because if you didn't give enough thought to, uh, you know, making sure that that was correct, you know, how can we trust you with other things? And if it's Zoom, yes, Mary, uh, you know, looking into the camera and establishing eye contact. Mary, you had your hand, <laughs> Mary, you had your hand up before. Was your question answered? Uh, yeah, Jenny asked it. I was just about the questions. Great, great. So this is Ella's back. Any, just, just know that uh, any follow-up emails, you know, after a job fair or an interview, uh, we keep those. So usually it's just, it was nice to meet you, you know, during our interview or our meeting at the job fair at wherever it was on whatever date, um, you know, attaches my resume or, you know, please recall that I submitted my resume on whatever date. I send those right to our administrative assistant and they go into the, uh, the virtual file system that we keep. So all of that is, is good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else have any questions? Leslie, I don't want to keep you from Syracuse, although, you know. You know, Albany's my only true love. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> There's nothing in Syracuse. It's all in Albany, right? <laughs> right. Hey, I think, I think we have some Syracuse students on. Rob, be careful. You might get called out. Yeah, but you're, you're with us now. You're not in Syracuse anymore. You're with us now. And when you're with us, you're with us. When you leave us, you're still with us. You come back. That's right. Oh, well, I just want to thank both of our speakers. I think this was excellent. And I, um, I really appreciated both of you taking the time and speaking with our students. And I want to thank the students for being so engaging and participating today as well. Can I just say one more thing? Uh, of course. If you don't mind, just because I'm kind of a living example of this now, 
when you guys are going through your career as you move forward, right, you always want to have a plan. But part of the flexibility in your plan has got to be if an opportunity that takes you off the beaten path comes up and it's a good opportunity and you can learn something and, and, and really gain another body of experience, don't be afraid to do it, right? I mean, I was a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I was a prosecutor for all these years and I'm now not practicing. I am running a law enforcement agency that's tasked with uh, the rehabilitation of those who have been convicted of crimes. And some would say, why are you doing that? And the answer is, is because I want to, because there is a part of me and my walk and my career that I wanted to feed by doing this. So don't be afraid to do that so long as you're doing it for a right reason. Because if you're doing it for a right reason, there will always be good that will come from it that you will be able to explain to somebody. So I'm so, just had to say that. All right. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for saying that and for your earlier comments um, about knowing yourself, right? And, and yep. serving a just cause, it's, it's important. And I just wanna say really quickly before, before you and Leslie leave, I am so grateful to both of you for coming back and doing this program. And I told the students at the town hall last Thursday that these are two of the best people they'll ever meet. Um, and so thank you to all the students who have come and, and listened to our really awesome alumni today. Thanks. Thanks, Joanne. One other thing, guys, um, if you are interested in uh, virtual internships over the summer, please go to our website. Uh, they're actually quite amazing. We, we ended up with about 600 law students from around the country participating last year. And uh, it's everything from watching virtual court sessions to uh, having different folks speak to you. The medical examiner spoke, the sheriff, the police commissioner, the DA, uh, but some, some interesting stuff happened and we got exceptional feedback. So it's the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office. Uh, I've asked them to make a separate tab for this because I couldn't find it today and I was a little PO'd at that. Um, if you go under our, our website under careers and it says apply here, it doesn't make any sense, but apply here and the internships will be under there. So if that's something that interests you, by all means, uh, sign on there. Hey guys, good luck with your interviews. Good luck guys.